Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sittner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with artists and creators from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul through Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. And if you've got something going on around the Twin Cities you'd like to talk about, we want to hear from you. Email us at badmouthtc at gmail.com. Mouthing Off is sponsored by Minnesota Playlist, the digital destination for live performing arts. Producers can find talent to work with. Directors can cast productions with audition ads. Teachers can find students with a classified. And audiences can find the perfect show to attend on the state's largest calendar of theater and dance shows. Find out more at minnesotaplaylist.com. We hope you enjoy the show. We're back with another action-packed episode of Melting Off, the arts and culture podcast for the Twin Cities and beyond. I'm Kevin Kautzman, fresh off of Glen Sheen at History Theater, which I saw last evening uh, with my co-host, Amanda Forstrom. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing excellent as well, Kevin. And yeah, Glen Sheen was a rockin' good time. It was super fun. Love history theater, love what they're doing. And uh, it was such a great uh, episode with Jen Marin to hear her uh, iterations of all, you know, I think seven times they've produced this show. So we got to see it, which was awesome. And you didn't know anything about it. And I had been there when I was a kid. So it was just it was a great episode and a great show. So they have revived Glen Sheen more times than uh, bodies that were left behind by this, by this woman. Uh, and, and maybe we'll make some time. I, our, our guest is uh, smirking here. Yeah. Um, that we, we know of time. Kevin. That right, we, that know, we of. know of. Right. I mean, uh, you know, watch you walk away from that musical and you kind of go, wait a minute. That was sort of about a serial killer who kind of got away. What, what, what was this? But we'll come back to Glenn Sheen and history theater uh, in the natural course of conversation. I'm sure. We have with us Rob Ward, and Rob was, uh, I I guess, meant to be part of the coalition. We've already talked about this production that he has coming up at the Fringe, but he wanted to join us and give a full episode of Mouthing Off to talk about what he has going on, what he's going to be doing at Phoenix Theater over in Minneapolis here in August. And so welcome to Mouthing Off, uh, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So let's let's get right into it. Pitch, what do you got? You got a show in the fringe. We already talked about it on this pod. It sounds like somebody may have got a few may have gotten a few things wrong. We are we are not misinformation respecters on this pod. We want to get it right. So help us get it right, right from the horse's mouth, if you will. I've been saving that. Yes, yes. Um uh my show is called How to Kill a Horse, and it is part of the Phoenix Presents, uh, this upcoming fringe festival. And um well, first off, uh, what it's about, it's a pitch black one man musical comedy about the true history of the weirdest, nastiest, horse killingest case of fraud in American history. Uh, I know last time when Brian was on the show, he tried to explain what it was. Uh, it wasn't exactly accurate. So this is what the show's about. In the 1970s, all the way to the 90s, uh, in the show horsing, in the show horse circuits, you know, like dressage, cross country, etc. 
um, people were having, you know, these rich people were having their horses killed for the insurance money. They would actually hire people known as horse murderers to come in and kill these horses. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! I guess the the theme of killing continues. That's horrendous. Wow. There are only there are only two interesting things, and one of them is death. I'll let you guess what the other one is, Amanda. <laughs> uh, crypto. <laughs> go go on, Rob. <laughs> well, funny enough, uh, you're talking about interesting things. Death taxes is also a big thing uh, that really happened during this time because in '86. Uh, the 1986 Tax Act, um, that removed a lot of deductions around horses, especially show horses. And uh, so they became a liability for a lot of these very, very wealthy people. And so the horse killing just went up a notch. Uh, there was one person in particular, Tommy the Sandman Burns. He was called the Sandman because, well, he put horses to sleep. And he's one of the characters in this show that I play. And not only is this going on, but in Chicago, there is this syndicate, this criminal syndicate uh, that is referred to by journalists as the horse syndicate or the horse mafia, in which they would scam people by selling them lousy horses and just wrapping them up into this giant scam. Uh, there is one woman that lost $368,300, and this was in the 70s, so that's about a million dollars today just from being dragged along by these con artists. Mm. And this group eventually gets involved with uh, Helen Voorhees Brock. Uh, Helen Voorhees Brock was the heiress to the Brock candy fortune. She disappears in 1977. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how does this... Okay, going yeah. On. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot going on. Okay, fascinating. We're going to have no uh, trouble chatting about this for a minute that's that's fascinating how did you get turned on to this story what brought you to this are you a horse guy i like horses uh i'm more of a organized crime nerd ever since i was a kid i was obsessed with gangsters i grew up around chicago so hearing you know stories about local uh criminals and al capone and uh, sam giancana that i really got into that and I was watching uh, Dominic Dunn's, I think it's Power, Privilege, Justice. And they had an episode about this case. And I was watching it and I was a kid and I was like, huh, this is really weird and very intriguing. And I forget about it for a while. Then I'm in the dentist office and I read Sports Illustrated and they have an interview with Tommy Burns in there. Uh, the, the Sandman, the guy that was going around killing horses. And I was like, huh, this is really weird. And it's always stuck with me in my mind. And during the pandemic, I needed a project. So I started a uh, mini show on Facebook called Mafia Mondays, where I talked about organized crime. And my mind kept on going back to this. And I was like, oh, this would be a fascinating episode. It's too big to just be an episode, like a little 30 minute thing. It's way too expansive and way too weird. So I had an idea for a show, and eventually I uh, started writing it. I got into the fringe this way. And the way it became a musical is because I had a song at the very end, and my director, Thomas Buin, he said, well, you got one song, you can have three. So we got three songs. Well, you got three, now you can get five. So I got five songs, and it's a musical now. <laughs> 
All right, right on. Uh, I mean, one of the very finest plays ever written, modern plays, is about horse. Uh, I don't know if he murders. You know, I don't think he murders the horses, but effectively he does. Equus. I don't know if you're familiar with that play, Peter Schaefer. There's a, a actually quite a good film version of that, which people aren't aware of. I think it has Peter Peter O'Toole in it. Uh, you can go and find that. Did you did you draw on any sources for this uh, outside of like true crime or like theatrical references? I suppose I mean, this is a long winded way of asking kind of your theater background. Like why it's it's kind of I'm trying to make that jump. Yeah, <clears throat> sure. My uh, background is primarily in physical theater, and um, that's what I really fell into when I was coming up in college, especially. I love movement. I love all that stuff. And we have movement in this show, definitely. Um, but something that really inspired the tone of this show had to be the Dean Martin show and some 1970s of those crooner uh, hosted TV shows. And it's very also carnival barker because I come out and I'm saying, Hey, this is how you kill a horse. It's an instructional. Whoa. I'm selling this to you. Okay. I got you. So the structure is not okay. Interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's actually uh, Richard Burton in that version of Equus that I was thinking about worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Uh, also very from the seventies, 1977 was, was when that film was made. Yeah, Amanda. I'm, I'm just wondering you know, you have you have this idea and you, you're kind of like marinating, marinating on it. And, you know, where did you were you a writer before this? Um, I mean, I, I would say I'm a physical actor, too, but I'm definitely not a writer or wouldn't consider myself one. But I guess who knows in, you know, 20 years. So how did you even start, you know, putting pen to paper or I don't know what what the euphemism or not euphemism, what the what it is well, it, kevin or it, it sounds like he was yeah or... right yeah pen to paper works i mean yeah i yeah it sounds like you started writing it like a like a straight play and it kind of evolved into a musical so yeah it did it really did i my background also i have a lot of devised theater in there so i'm used to collaborating with others to develop a script i also over the pandemic because what else am I going to do? I started writing a novel and I actually published that novel uh, a couple of years ago uh, called Click. It's a science fiction book. It's got nothing to do with horses. <laughs> and I really developed a love for uh, writing um, during that time. And I've before that, I've written poetry, uh, short stories. But once I really got into the groove with that book, I started Saying, well, you know, I've co-written a couple of plays. Why not go forth and get what I want to see on stage? Well, so and and horse murder. I mean, it, this provokes all sorts of crazy feelings because they're obviously they're animals. It's a crime. I mean, I, is it murder technically when you kill an animal? Uh, what is the phrase for it? Um, Horses have a very special place in people's hearts, uh, certainly mm -hmm. here in the West. I mean, we don't eat horses. Uh, they're they're almost they're beyond pets. There's like a weird spiritual kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of harming a horse is pretty extreme. Like harming a dog, pretty extreme. Harming a mm -hmm. horse, like it just for whatever reason. And of course, a lot of this is arbitrary too. But there it is. Uh, 
yeah tell us more about the core of the story like what is what was behind it it was purely money uh and a lot of it was money i'd say the biggest part was money and more so greed uh these people that own these horses did not want to spend money on the taxes they didn't want to take a loss and these are millionaires we're talking about uh these are people that come from very high levels of society um one of them, Ooh. Barney Ward, one of the owners, his son is an Olympic gold medalist in eventing. Mm. Alistair Ward. Okay. Um, there's Paul Verri. No relation. No relation to you. No relation to me. <laughs> okay. <All laughs> I right. mean, if I if I did have show horse money family, I mean, I would totally, you know, be it'd be easier to produce. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, we have a little company. You could help us. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. So, but uh, explain to me how uh, how did the I guess the fraud work? You know, were they going to be taxed for? I guess I don't under, understand like the quid pro or the sort of like the actual work of it. Yeah, it all goes into insurance. Okay, so these it's horses, insurance fraud. Okay, yeah, it's big time insurance fraud. Nice. Uh, so they that's my the second favorite kind of fraud. <laughs> <laughs> what's your first kind <laughs> no comment <laughs> yeah i'm a fan of mail fraud myself but uh <laughs> yeah very good yeah right so they would have insurance policies on these animals uh for example twenty thousand dollars forty thousand dollars again this is back in the 70s and 80s so inflation and horse murderers would often get a cut of that they'd often get around five grand per horse killed and this is going to be surprising. It's not that hard to kill a horse. Would they do it in such a way where the, the horse was just sort of dropped dead and everybody would go, okay, well, it's a dead horse. They were, you know, I, I'm not going to say it, but they're beating there a is, dead horse. Yeah. There were more uh, methods to do that. Yes. Uh, there's one particular method uh, Tommy the Sandman Burns used that I'm going to demonstrate in the show. Not on a live horse. Not on but a then, horse, but on a volunteer, on an audience member, somebody can come up and <laughs> <laughs> that'll be me. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah, come on down. Right, but so, so what would he do? So he would take an extension cord. He would oh. slice it down the middle. He would take out the grounding wire. He'd put an alligator clamp on the hot and neutral wires. You'd clamp one to the horse's ear. You'd stick the other one on the horse's butt plug it in, boom, then goes down immediately. And, and that was actually one of the most humane ways. Right. And that looks there like were, what? It just looks like a heart attack. It just looks like, ah, oh, you get a dead horse. It looks like a disease called colic. Uh, colic is oh. this gastrointestinal thing that a lot of horses get. Uh, it's fatal at time. It could be very fatal at times. Mm. And it's also very hard to look at a horse that's been electrocuted like that and be, unless you look at the horse's butt, then you're like, oh, this horse died of colic. As long as you don't see that burn wound, you'd think colic. Wow. This there's a whole Wikipedia devoted to this, Amanda. Mm -hmm. The the that scandal so has crazy. been called one of the biggest, most gruesome stories in sport. Yeah, that's wild. And yeah. how long did this go on? Well, uh the show horse murders themselves happened from the mid 70s to 1991. Um but this some of these organizations, this uh, the horse mafia in Chicago, they've been around since the 40s and they had a different scam going on involving horses in which they would sell people very 
lemons, essentially, when it comes to horses. Sell a horse that for 20 grand that was actually worth 900 bucks. And sometimes when you have this that, horse. That rocks. I'm sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, like, it, you got to so feel lover. bad. Yeah, it is. I mean, that is, I mean, listen, this country is fantastic at producing scams and grifts and that's a lot of money. I mean, if you can be, you know, making 15 to $20,000 a pop off some sucker who doesn't know any better. And then it's, and then you, you probably play to their, uh, their, their status. You probably want to make them feel fancy. They don't know any different anyway, go on. Yeah. Fascinating. Exactly. That's exactly mm. what happened. Uh, cause they'd always target particularly rich old widows that's who they usually target like helen brock was a rich old widow mm. and so sometimes you'd have these horses and you'd say oh these horses are lousy we have to and there's several people in on the scam oh the horses you bought they're pretty lousy so you have to sell them off and get some new horses and oh you have a one good horse oh it died i wonder how that happened you better get another good horse and it just escalated. It's a snowball. It's a sunk cost fallacy with um, mm -hmm. some of these suckers, to put it. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm reading about this Burns fellow, the Sandman. So what, he would just travel around the country? He was like a horse assassin. Pretty much. <laughs> what? That, that dude is 100% going to hell. I'll say that right here, right now. I don't care. It, it, yeah. Legitimately? He's one of the more benign people in the show. <laughs> what? Is he still yeah. around? I should I should watch what I say. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Tommy Burns is still alive. Oh, great. Oh, good. Now I, I was going to say, I don't want to ruin. I don't want to yeah, ruin sorry. the ending. I, mean, I don't know, folks. man. You know? I don't want to ruin the ending for folks. But I mean, did, you know, were they charged? And did these people have any repercussions or, you know, kind of wiggle their way out? Or oh, funny thing about Tommy Burns, and if you're listening, I'm sorry, but he was a rat. He got caught. Oh, damn. And uh, he essentially spilled his. He was looking at 40 years. Oh, so, yeah, wow. 40 whole years. And he actually ended up getting a year and a day because what? he just squealed on everybody else. Oh, man. And those people squealed. Like, for example, Tommy Burns didn't know who Richard Bailey is. The people that he squealed on, who then therefore squealed on other people, who then for squealed on those people, it got to it got to Chicago eventually. Okay, yeah. all right. Who's who's this? Uh, Richard Bailey. Who's who's that? Oh, sorry. Yes. Um. So Richard Bailey is a one of the main characters in this show and in this story as a whole. Uh, he was the primary guy who would get the old widows to. Yeah, he would woo them and seduce them and get them to uh, bring their cash. It, oh, to him. that is and such a. They oh, called him is... the Galloping Gigolo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tremendous. Tremendous. Is, I'm so happy that you wrote this play or this musical. I mean, my gosh, this stuff is. Yeah. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You, Really? Absolutely not. Yeah, pitch people. Uh, where's it going to be? The dates where they where they can find tickets. We'll keep talking about it. We we still got time, but once again, yeah, hit people. Absolutely. This will be at the Phoenix Theater, uh, twenty six oh five Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis, right across from the former Lake Chipotle. Um, long may it live. Uh, so the show days are August fourth at ten p.m., August fifth at seven p.m., 
August 6th on four, at 4 p.m., August 11th at 8.30 p.m., and August 12th at 5.30 p.m. Rock and roll. The Great Phoenix Theater. And that Chipotle is closed now, huh? I, I believe it is. It's uh, mm. uh, I mean, That's at least the right. lake is gone. I don't know about mm. the Chipotle itself. Ah, aha. Gotcha. Well, so there it is. Phoenix Theater. You're going to want to check this out. This is wild. This There's not going to be another show in this year's Fringe that's quite like this, I don't think. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine there. somebody else is like, ah, I'm going to you know, write a musical about horse murders. Yeah. And it's and it's just you. It's a one. Yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> and it's it's a one man show too. So you're doing all of it. Damn, that's right. Yeah, that's why. And how many characters are you playing in the in the show? Whew, okay. Um, two, three, four, five, six. About six or seven. That's awesome. That is mm-hmm. so awesome. Do you sing only as like one character, or do does each of them have a song or? Uh, there's some concepts that have a song. There's some okay. people that have a song. There's a duet between two characters. <laughs> that works out interestingly when you're a one person doing a duet. Uh, <laughs> that is amazing. You're doing a duet with yourself. That is correct. I'm coming just for that. I mean, also <laughs> yeah, I'm, the I'm legitimately also the horse murders. But tempted I mean... to go. I I really yeah. I think we got to come out to this one, Amanda. This is uh, oh, this is wild. absolutely yeah, yeah. Super super exactly right up my alley of like dark and twisted and weird, but also kind of anchored. In, I'm not a huge true crime guy. I won't lie. I mean, I like I do tend to like the dark side of things uh, more than the average person. So this is fascinating. And it has that Chicago connection too. Where in Chicago did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago called Tilly Park, uh, very far southwest side mm-hmm. near the border of Cook and Will County. Yeah. What do you think it was about the, I guess, the gangster, the organized crime thing when you were young that, you know, made it appeal to you more than I think it might for most people? Well, this might be shocking, uh, but as a little theater kid. Uh, I didn't exactly make a lot of friends and I was bullied a lot. So when you're in a, kind of a disadvantaged position like that, uh, people, I know a lot of people tend to turn to fantasy and that sort of world. Me, I was struggling enough with the real world as it is. So I fantasy never really caught my attention till later. But I always heard from my grandparents stories about the gangsters. My grandma used to be a waitress at this bar where Sam Momo Giancana used to hang out. Uh, my grandpa used to get rides home from this leg breaker named Nino Solomon in uh, town. And I, I, you look, I looked this guy up and he was on the 1972 Chicago crime report. Uh, and stuff like that. I had a great uncle that hung out with a guy named Marco the Mover. Uh, and that's that's another story altogether. Uh, but is it, that's always, like a man, and a man with a van thing? Marco the Mover? Is that what it was? Uh, he like was involved in a moving company or something. That was his front. Uh, uh, pretty bad guy. Yeah. And my dad was from New York, so I got stories from those guys as well. Uh, I had an uncle, quote-unquote uncle, that played golf with Vito Genovese once. Uh, <laughs> People love these stories. I mean, I, I lived out in Man. We've got our own mob history here in the Twin Cities, big time. Oh yeah. Uh, are you are you very in tune with that? Uh, 
what's your what's your thinking there? I'm familiar on the mm-hmm. the, the sanctuary city in St. Paul, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been on the gangster tours, and I've read a couple of the books about the gangs here, like Kid Con and uh, the entire kidnappings that the uh, Barker gang would pull off and creepy crap uh, Carvis. Yeah, this was like this. This state was like the leading state for uh, bank robberies mm-hmm. uh, in in like the twenties and thirties. We led the country in bank <laughs> robberies. Everybody, you know, and everybody has this weird idea that oh, Minnesota, it's so nice, and it's like, well, it's always had its edge. It's always had its dark side for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting. You're because I was I was listening to your your accent a little bit, and I was sort of almost picking up like a New York thing. Do you think that does that come from your your father? So this is a story I because people get the accent right away. And uh, so I was born in Chicago. My dad was from Flatbush, Brooklyn. My mom's from the north side of Chicago. When I was learning to talk, they still had a house in New Jersey. So when I was in that fundamental stage of learning how to talk, I was in Long Branch, New Jersey. And then we moved to Tinley Park. And for some reason, I'm the one sibling that ended up with an East Coast accent. Uh, <laughs> that rocks. That rocks. You'd never change. <laughs> you make. I know. Yeah. No, I I know Amanda lived out East, too. So it's fun. It's fun to hear the accent. I mean, we're very, very Minnesota now these days. But yeah, that's cool, man. Have you um, so you performed a lot? It sounds like you've done a lot of physical stuff. Is this the first time you're singing in front of people, or have you done musicals in the past? What's what's the story? I've there? done I've done a lot of musicals in the past. Hmm. Um, coming up, I've played. Uh, I've done shows with Sidekick Theater. Um, I've done shows with uh, other uh, companies in the Twin Cities and uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, uh, old gem theater i've sung out there i've i've been in several musicals uh growing up in my life so i have a and i minored in voice in college so i have a pretty decent base for that so thankfully that's kind of got its base <laughs> cool yeah i can't sing a bar you don't want me doing it i could do karaoke uh but I need to be like well slicked up before I <laughs> before I do that, and I don't do that anymore. So it's uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that, it, t- it takes a lot of Amanda. Have you done ever done a one person show? I mean, I know I'm going to write you one, so it'd be good to know. Have you done one? No, we got to. I've got to write one no. for Amanda. No, yeah, I've it's, done it's a couple two person shows, three person shows, four, but mm. never, never the the the. Mount Everest of of actors and it's well but it won't be a musical right Kevin I don't know maybe it will <laughs> it sounds like this one wasn't going to be a musical either and it, it ended up being uh being one so I like the title too right how to kill a horse that's the title yeah that's just so that's like awesome. okay wow I guess we're gonna get into it and then so the structure is like you're you're gonna teach them how it's done teach the audience how it's done and then kind of walk them through this this historical story of of what happened to these people yes uh there's that's one of the lessons that we're gonna teach in this show uh we also need to know who kills horses why we kill horses and what happens when horse killing goes wrong and to know that we need context (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so insurance fraud so i i'm and they already had money though these people oh yeah Oh my God! So they were conf- they were committing insurance fraud on top of already having a lot of money. Must have gone word must have gone around that it's like, hey, this is an easy way to. 
they're not investigating this too much. You've got a huge policy. It's just a horse. I'm sure some people had that conversation. Can you imagine that little that little Faustian, you know, that devil on your shoulder? It's just a horse. We eat, we eat cows. I mean, it's it's just a, a big, it's just like a cow. You would kill a cow, you know, so, but it's like, wow, it, there's a level of kind of evil, uh, pure greed, if I'm understanding the story. Yeah, Amanda, you're you're pulling a face. <laughs> oh, I'm pulling a face uh, because I may I I don't know if I should admit this or not, but I have eaten a horse before. Well, that's a I, I don't have a problem with that. I yeah. to be fair, I was in another country and it's mm-hmm. accepted there, and I kind of you know Wisconsin. Were you in France? Were you in France? No, I was in Iceland. Actually. Oh, they eat horse in Iceland, huh? I, I don't think it's like a normal thing, but I think that they it's much more accepted. I don't know how, you know, people aren't eating horses every day like we would a cow, I would say. But, I, you know, but I, I was there and I just I I did it, you know, do as the Romans do. I, you know, tried a little bit, not like I didn't eat a whole horse, people. Um, But it. I have to say. The consistency was kind of like a tuna sushi like piece. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, but it was like a really good rare steak. Nothing wrong with that. I, I really don't somebody I don't you know, these lines are drawn pretty arbitrarily. And if you're if you're in a country that does it, I I certainly would not say no. I've eaten kangaroo at ah. a kangaroo bur- yeah, kangaroo burger in New York. So yeah. Interesting, but this is a different thing, right? Because you know, if they if they're slaughtering these horses to be eaten, okay, oh. that's yeah, and yeah, yeah. we're not you, clearly we're not vegans on this uh, uh, podcast. If you're listening and you're a vegan or a vegetarian, you can write to us at badmouthtc at gmail with all of your complaints and and your hate rage, mail. hate mail. We welcome it. Even better would be if you had a cultural event going on in the Twin Cities and you wanted to reach out and be on the radio, 94.1 FM Frogtown Radio in St. Paul. You can also email badmouthtc at gmail.com and come on the pod to talk about what you got going on. Uh, But it's got to be theater, arts and culture related. Yeah, Amanda. I was just going to say, or, you know, they know that they're going to find us at Rob's show so they could probably yell, yell at us in person and also see the show, you know. Yes, you've got to go and support the fringe. And if this, yeah, go on, Amanda. Oh, I was just going to say you can check out the schedule and all the shows at minnesotafringe.org. Minnesotafringe.org. Go check it out. I mean, this is one of the amazing shows, and I can't wait to see it. Go get your buttons, go get all the stuff, see all the shows, support art. It's coming back. You know, it's really mm-hmm. hard after COVID, but the great things uh, that have come out of it. I know we've talked about it on the podcast a lot, um, like this show, Rob. I'm so glad that, you know, COVID happened just to, you know, have more art and get <laughs> only for that reason. For that but, reason. For We're, that yeah. reason only. You but, heard it here first. Amanda Forstrom is glad that COVID <laughs> happened. We have it on record. Uh, I will not. Editing, uh, but everybody understands what you mean. Let Amanda. the let the take... canceling begin. <laughs> <laughs> let the canceling accelerate. Let's go. Real talk, I miss the pandemic sometimes. No deadlines, no nothing. Just mm-hmm. hop on the computer, write a bit, watch TV. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So I'll I be think I, with you. Yeah. Yeah. And all of these things came out of it. I mean, I wonder how many shows at the fringe, like what percentage came out of COVID or even like new work that's going on at stages all across the U.S. or, you know, in, in Europe. And it's I we, think that's great. We started a theater company. We looked at each other in the middle of it and said, let's actually do something. I started my other podcast, Art of Darkness, during the pandemic. That's taken a light on a life. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think people looked at that time. Obviously, some people were sort of terrified beyond imagining. I mean, it was a very frightening time. But I think I do notice that artists kind of went into our little hidey holes and emerged with different things and a different way of looking at the world. And yeah, we, we're not a po- we're not a political podcast. So I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But the the point is, it's it's good to take something that that's that widely kind of traumatic and intense and turn it into something positive and productive here on the on the other side. And yeah. to really show up and celebrate, mm-hmm. you know, the, what silver linings we can, and that's new work, you know, new stories, and yeah, showing up for artists after. You know, we really got shut down. We got hit hard. Yeah, we did. And so and everybody, this, mm-hmm. come out to minnesotafringe.org, get your tickets, get your buttons, see how to kill a horse, because <laughs> I know I'll be there. You're in Minnesota. You're you're in, a, it's a pretty rural-ish state, middle-ish, rural-ish state. You, sh- you ought to know how to kill a horse. <laughs> and this is and this is the man. Yeah, you should know. I had a tree fall. I had a, had a big, big branch fall in my backyard. And I'm a, I'm from North Dakota, so I'm from the country. But I'm like a computer guy and a theater kid and a writer. And my parents are school teachers. So I'm like, like, like Amanda's more country than I am. Like she, her family goes hunting and everything. Okay, fine. But the tree, like the, this huge branch falls down in the backyard and I'm looking at my, my lady and I'm like, wait, what do we do? We don't even know what we're going to do. I, you know, like what, what are we, what are we supposed to do with this? You call and she's Amanda. Like, well, well, yeah, right. We call <laughs> Amanda. But Amanda has the chainsaw and like, and I, it just, it's one of those funny moments that I'm like a newish homeowner, you know, I was moving around and living in apartments most of my adult life. And like, I, it was one of those moments where I'm like, well, one, I got to go save big money at Menards to begin because I got to go get some stuff because I, because I was telling her, she's like, well, maybe the city will come out. Like, no, I, no, it's on our property. Like I've got to, I'm the man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know, I somebody's gonna have to chop this apart and deal with it. And I did, and I don't know what my point is, but uh, you know, you've gotta you're you're living in Minnesota. That's the other thing. The the Twin Cities here, people pay a lot of lip service for to this place being like great for the arts. We got a real scene. Yeah, Rob's uh, raising his hand. Let's back it up by actually getting out. Yeah. Sure, Go sure. Ahead, yeah. Rob. Um there is a Minnesota connection in this show. Ooh, people Uh-oh. love those. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it's probably the barest connection of all. But Helen Brock, the woman that went missing, the heiress, the last place she was seen was the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. She was supposed to fly home that evening. What was she Stop doing at, at the Mayo? Uh, she was rich old woman getting a physical, making sure everything was okay. Ooh, where where was she living? Where was she? Oh, Chicago. Well, oh, in Chicago, uh, outside of Chicago, uh, an estate, Glenview. Oh, Glenview. We just had Glen Sheen last night. 
Yeah. I'm sensing a theme. This is, yeah. no, this yeah. is kind of, you know. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to read, let me just read the Wikipedia. Okay. This is fun. The show jumping horse killing scandal. You'd think that you could find a better, like that's a tricky phrase. The show jumping horse killings scandal refers to cases of insurance fraud in the U.S. in which expensive horses, many of them show jumpers, were insured against death, accident, or disease and then killed to collect the money. It's not known how many horses were killed in this manner between the mid-70s to the mid-90s when the FBI investigation brought the horse killings to light. Uh, but the number is thought to be well over 50 and may have been as high as 100. In addition, in 1977, the heiress Helen Brock disappeared and was presumed by law enforcement agents to have been murdered by the perpetrators of these crimes because she threatened to report their criminal activity to authorities. Continuing investigations into Brock's death began to uncover the insurance fraud in the 1990s. So this only came to light because this rich heiress died and then the FBI was sort of forced to look into this. That's incredible. I'm amazed at the, I wonder if the insurers, the insurers were maybe in on it too. I wonder because like insurance companies don't take a bath like this. Without, yeah. They had, they, they make investigations on their own. So this is all Mm -hmm. very fishy. Is there anything about that that's come up, uh, Ron? Well, with the insurance companies themselves, uh, there wasn't, I couldn't find much research on what they were involved, but those companies that insure horses, they, they know what a broken leg kind of leads to that. If you know, a horseman's shot, uh, so when you're killing a horse, you have to make it look like an accident or a disease like colic. Um, mm-hmm. and frankly, the colic, the, the go kind of going back to the, uh, the extension cord. Uh, and shocking them that way. That was one of the more humane ways instead of breaking a horse's leg. Um, one of the more popular ways was setting a barn on fire. Ah, uh, yeah. Ooh. And there was this really sick method where you take two ping pong balls and a roll of duct tape and you could put two and two together there. Two ping pong balls and a roll of Stick duct tape. Stick them right in the nostril. Uh, tie it right oh, there. that's uh, horrible. Isn't that terrible? That's horrible. Wait, wait, they, they can't breathe through their mouth. Well, that's where the duct tape comes in. Oh, the duct tape. Oh, oh, that's that's horrific. So they just as- asphyxiated. Ugh. Yeah. Anybody who's oof. I mean, you'd have to be so cruel to do that. That's not that's not pleasant at all. No. Um, yikes. <sighs> this is this is crazy though. Also, on this podcast, we are we are conspiracy respecters to a degree. Like in as much as like like conspiracy culture is American culture. You can hate it. But like these are our folk tales, and this is an actual, honest to God conspiracy that went on for decades and may never have been uncovered, involving millions and millions of dollars. It looks like twenty-three people were indicted and twenty ended up pleading guilty in this case in Chicago. Insurance fraud, mail-in uh, wire fraud, obstruction of justice, extortion, racketeering, and animal cruelty. I was going to say but, how yeah. how much was involved. You know how many RICO charges were there, and how you know did the Chicago mafia was this like an arm of the Chicago mafia that like kind of did this, and they just like cut it off because they knew that they would go down with them or. 
they weren't uh, with the Chicago Mafia officially. They had uh, uh, connections to them. Um, actually, the Spalatro brothers used to hang out at Northwestern Stables quite a lot. Uh, the Spalatro brothers, for those who don't know, uh, if you ever see the movie Casino, Joe Pesci's yeah. character, that guy's based on Anthony Spalatro, who was a scary gangster for the mob. Casino is a the per a perfect movie. I'll put Casino on. You mentioned Casino, and I go, "Ooh, I could watch Casino tonight." Like I could stay up until two in the morning watching Casino. No, I'm an adult. Nobody's going to stop me. <laughs> it's an amazing <laughs> movie. It's so good. It. It's ridiculously good. Yeah, and I'd say that Scorsese kind of influenced the way I approach some of the um, interacting with the criminals. Definitely, because it's it's crime. It's Scorsese, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Forget about it. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> oh, I, Amanda, go ahead. I, I was just going to say um, another movie I just watched um, was Kill the Irishman with Danny Green. And I didn't know mm -hmm. anything about Danny Green. And that is such an interesting story, too. And, you know, you were talking, Kevin, about how, you know, kind of conspiracy or things like might be under the surface and under the rug if we pick it up, but we don't really know. And it might take, you know, 20, 30, 50 years to to uncover what's actually going on. And, you know, if it's what we all thought. And and I, I do think like the mafia and people's fascination with that is also very American, you know. Um, and so I, I love watching movies like Casino. And I had never seen, like I said, I think it's Kill the Irishman, right? About Danny Green. Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah it was it's just awesome it's really fun Terrifying, i really but fun. yeah <laughs> i i i really enjoy um killing them softly you familiar with that one rob is that James the brad pitt one yeah brad pitt plays the hitman yeah that's yeah. a good one that's like a banger that. yeah this stuff is great cool so i'm i'm gonna read a little more from the wikipedia because this has it all is this is this helpful i'm gonna do it, it it's got mm -hmm. quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I just think people will be fascinated, and it gives some background for your for your show. I don't think any of it gives a, gives it away. This has everything. Um, another aspect of the scandal went beyond insurance fraud and involved racketeering. This scheme, a form of confidence game, con con games, con artists. I love that. Consisted of bilking wealthy widows of their money by encouraging them to invest in horses. That's like perfect. It's perfect. The animals were usually overvalued or underperforming, and the conspirators killed the animals in order to prevent the owners from uncovering how much they had overspent. In some cases, before the women invested, these non-performing animals were first bid up in value by the co-conspirators in an attempt to make them seem more desirable to the purchasers. In other cases, a shill buyer would offer to co-purchase the horse from a conspiring owner or trainer, with each buyer putting up half the stated purchase price. The check from the shill buyer would be destroyed, and the two con artists would deposit and split the money paid by the wealthy woman buyer. If she began to suspect that the horse she had purchased was relatively valueless, it would be killed for the insurance money, which would soothe her financially. And if the conspirators still had her confident, confidence, she would then be encouraged to invest in another co-owned horse, repeating the cycle. The men who worked this form of confidence game often acted as gigolos to the widows they bilked. 
that's great. Bilking, gigolos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was in one of these schemes that this has everything. It's got sex. It's got money. It's got violence. It's got murder. It's got a conspiracy. Um, I love and, it. Uh, something fun about that particular, uh, the scam itself. I looked at, there's a, a book called uh, Hot Blooded uh, by Ken Englund, which goes through this entire saga as well. And there's a woman named Carol Karstensen who was scammed hardcore by these guys. And uh, my explanation is actually a patter song about this. So if you're a musical theater fan, uh, that might be something to uh, get into. Might, you, what is you a might patter? Like what do you mean by a patter song? What is that? Um, one of the examples, uh, I am the very model of a modern major general. I'm information vegetable. Animal. Ah. It's a bit like that. That's a patter, okay. that's a patter song. I like to be in America. Oh, I can be in America. That's another yeah, yeah. one. Cool. And yeah, mine follows that mm. structure. I can see how they would use this, the horse. Like, and it's so funny because it gets right at um, all sorts of feelings of like, well, how much is the, is a horse worth? How much is anything worth? Anything mm-hmm. is worth what somebody will pay for it at the current moment. There were NFTs selling for $800,000 that are now going for $5,000, if that, if you could find a buyer, right? What is anything worth? Again, it's what mm. the next guy will pay for it. Well, how do you tell an old widow, this horse that I assume the, the widows would probably become emotionally attached a little bit. You're, I, I get sentimental about horses. If I'm an old lady and, and my, my young friend <laughs> my handsome young friend, you know, tells me this is yeah. So it's strange. It's like, yeah, what is value? Uh, hmm, crazy. And then they're they're out here just like murdering horses, like in the dead of night. I imagine, and uh, and getting away with it for like over a decade. Oh yeah, crazy, bonkers. Well, so what else? Uh, what else are you doing in the theater around town, Robert? You got anything coming up? Uh, do you, do you, it sounds like you work with some different theaters around town. So after this, you might have something else going on. What's what's the story? Uh, currently, not sure what's the next gig. Uh, my mind's kind of been hyper focused on this, uh, but I am also going to be part of another friend show called Shark Grant. Uh, my director Thomas Buen is one of the producers as well, and that is a um, the best way to describe, I might as well just read the description. 12 artists begin this competition for one of our nation's most limited resources, grant money to win. They must appease ah. our panel of sharks who control the fund, who will survive these invested waters. That's is funny. That our, uh, is that, is that about us? I don't know. That's about, <laughs> yeah, that's about, uh, right. Right. There should just be like one arts administrator in the corner eating, eating a steak the entire time. <laughs> uh, that would be fun. We love our arts administrators. We do. Nobody makes money in the arts in America. What a, what a troubling time. That's very funny. So what are you, what are you doing in that? I'm going to be one of the artists uh, auditioning for the grant. Uh, <laughs> I have a proposal for a project that is interesting. <laughs> To use a Minnesotan term. Okay. Right. There you go. Oh, yeah. That's that's real different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For that's sure. real all, different. All there. for fun. All for all fun. For, all for fun. We're going to go see how to kill a horse. That'll be <laughs> that real. That sounds That'll interesting. Yeah, it sounds interesting. <laughs> Have you seen what Amanda's up to these days? It sure is different. 
<laughs> yeah, that rocks. <laughs> so Amanda, do you, uh, I mean, we've got uh, maybe five uh, more minutes here with Rob. What do you, do you have any other questions to ask him? And like from maybe from an actor perspective, how he's getting ready for the one, one man show. Yeah. Yeah. How you're getting ready for it to prepare for it. And then I guess I've never, that's not true. I have performed when I was in grad school, we had our senior thesis. And so I wrote something and then performed it. I guess that counts as a one woman show kind of, but it was only like 20 minutes. So it wasn't, I guess it wasn't like in a full, you know, run and multiple nights or anything like that. It was just like a weekend. Um, but yeah, how do you prepare and are you nervous? Is, is this the first like time you're doing it in front of people? Have you gotten any feedback during the process? Sang any songs? Yes. I, um, uh, as soon as I wrote the thing and I had my uh, director and I, I sat down with my director and my wife and I ran through what I had, got the feedback from that. And I was still tweaking stuff until very recently, just trying to make it all much better. I'm feeling okay about it. I'm feeling the, the project's good. I feel the work is there. It's just me also, number one, getting the lines down. Because even though I wrote the thing, it's still, you know. Isn't uh, that crazy how that happens? Like you write it and I'm like, I remember writing this, but why can't I keep it in my head? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the songs are the easier part. I was surprised about that. I thought I was going to get them totally off the rails. But <laughs> yeah, it's some of the monologues I wrote that I thought this should be easy. Why am I doing this to myself? But not only that, but it's also the technical stuff, getting the props, the hawking of the show, because as one person, I don't exactly have I have me, my director and my wife uh, expanding that as much as we could. Uh, thankfully, the other folks that are performing at the Phoenix Theater, this fringe, um, we're all helping each other out, getting the word out about our shows so people can. It's a great idea if you want to see more shows. Stop on by the, the Phoenix. Just camp out there for an entire day. You can see everything in the theater and the Phoenix in one day. And if you like it enough, you can try that again. And that that's yeah. a really comfortable little spot. And it's right on Hennepin. Go ahead, Amanda. Yeah. And I was going to say, um, oh, I forgot now. Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, it'll come back to you. Yeah, no it'll worries. Yeah, no, that that's a good idea. And it, that is tricky. That's one of those things of having to like there's a temptation like we're gonna have a huge cast so everyone will come it's very brave to go no i'm putting on a one-man show this is what i want to do come you know like it or not this is what you're getting i like this that. Is, I and this is that. what i was gonna ask you derp um uh what where can people find you where can pe people read more about the show other than minnesotafringe.org uh where can people find you on social media and also where can we buy your book your novel yes um so my website is robwardcreative.com. Uh, it's got my my resume on it. It has some videos of me in uh, doing on-camera work. And it has uh, links to my book and to buy tickets for How to Kill a Horse. Uh, you can find my book on, uh, if you want a print copy, uh, amazon.com. If you're looking for a digital copy, you can also go to barnesandnobles.com. Apple Books has it. And yeah, there is uh, several. And if you stick around after the show, I'll probably be hawking those books as well, because, again, Carnival Barker at heart. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment, you know. Thank you. 
Yeah. I, I went to your website in the background here, robwardcreative.com, and it's just you with a hat and a suit and a tie, a horse tie, it appears. And you've got like a cable like you use to jump a car in one hand oh, and you're holding a horse, like a horse by the reins in the other. Uh, oh, geez. And, oh, geez. And now that, that hits different now that we've chatted for the better part of an hour and you're kind of smiling <laughs> where okay who is this horse there where did you take this where did you take this picture what's the story behind this it's very funny so when i was thinking of an image i definitely wanted to get a real horse and so i reached out to a friend of mine lisa and i was like hey do you have access to a horse this is my idea i i told her flat out what the show is about and she was like yes Absolutely. I have a couple of horses in mind. So I drove down to Jordan at the stable and this lovely man is named Milo. He is a sweetheart. He's a thoroughbred and he was the best model. I'm going to thank him in the program. He was such a good horse. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. So interesting. I wonder, it's a little tricky because uh, our friend who has the uh, the antique road show, the extreme road show, uh, mm -hmm. we were talking with him last week about uh, how he's got to get into the antique circles. Like my stepfather's a huge antique guy, right? Uh, and it's like, and they talk and they gossip and they all have, so it's like, if you got into that circle, that whisper network, you could probably get a dozen, a couple dozen people to come out for that. I don't know if you're going to be getting the horse people to come out to a show called How to Kill a Horse. <laughs> so we got <laughs> They're very sentimental about their horses. Like like and if you've never met horse people, like I'm talking about serious it's a life. It's a lifestyle and I respect mm -hmm. the hell out of it. It does uh, it does require a lot of money, so they tend to be moneyed mm -hmm. too. But the ones that I've met, it's some next level stuff. Like again, it's almost like a spiritual it's a life. For a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kevin, Willie totally Nelson right is all that. Yeah. 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 Willie yeah, Nelson yeah. is also a big, like, why save the wild horses. I don't know if anybody knows anything about that, but yeah. Hmm, to not know, not know about that. I, mm. Willie's great though. So I could totally see him doing stuff yeah. like that. But I did consult a couple of horse girls for uh, the show. Uh, okay. Really explained to me what eventing is and dressage and jumping and what hunters and jumpers are, etc. Uh, yeah, it is. They are passionate about their animal. And right. it, just as you were saying, it is so spiritual on a level. And I could definitely see why people would not want to, uh, if they're really, really, really attached to their show. Uh, for example, my friend Lisa, she told me flat out, um, look, this is probably going to hit me in some ways that. I don't think I'll be comfortable with, so I'm not going to come out to see the show. And that's an understand. There's a lot of dark things in the show that there's a big content and it's not just horse murder. There's murder, murder, there's uh, manipulation, all sorts of other things going on here. Sure. Uh, you should read, go to the website and you'll read all the disclaimers because it might influence your opinion or, you know, you're going to go in to see a show that has some heavy, heavy because we, we like heavy. Was one of the lighter ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like heavy themes. We're out of time. Rob Ward, go see the show, Minnesota Fringe, Phoenix Theater, How to Kill a Horse. Thank you so much, Rob. You're welcome anytime, by the way. You're, you're always welcome back on Mouthing Off. Well, thank you Absolutely. so much. Thanks All for right. having me. You got it. Bye.